welcome back to The Foreign Desk. I'm Lisa Deftari. Each week here, we try to break open different foreign policy and national security stories to talk about their effects on uh, legislation, the border, uh, policy, and of course, the people. This week on our show, we have a special friend to The Foreign Desk, Emily Schrader, who is a journalist, an activist, and an all-around amazing crusader uh, fighting one tyrannical regime at a time. Uh, welcome to the show, Emily. Emily is a se senior correspondent at Ynet News. She's the founder of political marketing firm Social Light Creative, the spokesperson for Institute of Voices of Liberty, and her areas of expertise are on online anti-Semitism and hate speech, Middle Eastern politics, and of course, authoritarian regimes. In 2019, she was one of the core leaders uh, to adopt um, the IHRA campaign, and that's, of course, uh, defining uh, anti-Semitism. She advised um, Canada, US, UK, Australia, and even Israel on effective policies to uh, combat online anti-Semitism. And this year, she was named one of the top 100 people positively influencing Jewish life. In addition to her work as a journalist, Emily's a vocal human rights activist with a following across social media of almost 200,000 and 70,000 of those people coming from Iran. Uh, she currently lives in Israel doing all of this wonderful work, and we'll talk about some of it right now. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. You know, uh, so much to talk about, all the wonderful things that you've been up to, and of course, your very interesting background as an American who moved to Israel about seven years ago. Um, uh, nine. Oh, nine. Okay, I'm behind. Nine and time goes by fast, <laughs> almost a decade, uh, American living in Israel, doing all of your wonderful work. Thank God for the internet where it doesn't matter where you are, but able to really communicate with the entire world. And speaking of where you are, I think it's a, it's appropriate to start right there. You're in South Africa right now. Can you tell us what you're doing there? Yeah, so I'm actually in Johannesburg this week. Uh, I came here because they have their Israel Apartheid Week on the campuses and in the communities. So I came to meet with the Jewish community to speak to them a little bit and to support some of the students with some of the activities that are going on here. In addition to that, I was also meeting with uh, several members of parliament here uh, in uh, Cape Town and actually also in Johannesburg to discuss the situation of the Iranian regime's involvement on the ground here in South Africa. So as I'm sure you know, uh, Iran has been very, very active in South Africa. It's been one of their fronts, one of the areas that they've used heavily to spread anti-Semitism through, you know, anti-Israel sentiment on the ground, supporting BDS, supporting terrorism, as well as, you know, IRGC, money laundering, uh, terrorism cell recruitment, a lot of different activities on the ground. And unfortunately, they have a lot of friends in the South African government. So I wanted to draw a little bit of attention to that and to urge the lawmakers to be aware of some of the violations of human rights, in particular with the trade unions, because that's a, a very serious issue here in South Africa that the regime is uh, taking advantage of. Yeah, it's something people here um, in the West don't really pay attention to. We think of Iran and we think of, of course, the Middle East, but no one really is mentioning their um, influence and how they are winning over hearts and minds in places like the South American continent and, of course, in Africa as well, um, really with their disinformation campaigns, as you said. Uh, and that's how it starts, right? So China, Russia and Iran have it right in terms of, of these disinformation campaigns and winning over those hearts and minds in different places. But it seems like the West is really behind 
behind. I mean, if the West is tiptoeing around whether or not to even place the Revolutionary Guard, which they're absolute terrorists, on the terror list, I mean, what hope do we have of them really getting this right with regards to Iran's regime? Now, with regard to your own personal work, um, and I want to unpack all the work that you're doing and why you're going around trying to get the Revolutionary Guard on, on the terror list and why you are doing all the work that you're doing, really balancing um, both anti-Semitism and your pro-Israel work, but also uh, exposing Iran's regime and really being an advocate for the Iranian people, which I know a lot of people on social media know you for and, and appreciate your work in that arena. But how is it that you're able to toe this line between activists and journalists? And has that been a challenge for you? Well, you know, I think when I started out my career in journalism, I was an opinion writer. So that is my background. Um, but I also do cover news issues when it comes to the Jewish diaspora, when it comes to anti-Semitism, when it comes to authoritarian regimes. And I haven't really had a problem in terms of my actual coverage for my job and the activity that I do in my personal life. Of course, some of the stories I agree with, some of the stories I don't. Uh, but it is my job when it comes to, you know, my my day job to report the, the news as it's happening rather than what my opinion is, unless, of course, it's an opinion piece. I don't think I've ever tried to hide what my opinions actually are outside of the content that I'm doing on a professional basis. So it's no secret to anyone who I am and what I stand for. But in terms of what I'm actually writing and my coverage, I think I do uh, make an effort to be very fair to represent both sides on whatever issues I'm speaking about. And I will give anybody an opportunity uh, to put forward their opinion. I think that a lot of times when it comes to the issues that I am covering, they don't oftentimes respond uh, or they don't want to speak to me because I am Israeli media. Uh, and, you know, that's their prerogative to be racist and discriminatory. If that's what they want to do, then they don't get a say. <laughs> so you jumped forward to a, a question I wanted to ask you about the reaction. But before I, I go there, I want to talk about how you even got into this space. I mean, what attracted you? Obviously, you know, I get the the, the pro-Israel stuff and combating anti-Semitism. It's, it's, a, it's a growing, you know, um, uh, cancer uh, globally. And, and of course, we're dealing with it here in the United States in, on college campuses and places of work on social media where, you know, it's been such an overlooked hate crime, you know, to, to go against Jews. I mean, you turn on any show on Netflix right now and there are, you know, references and stereotypes made about Jews and it's just overlooked and it's, it's considered part of it. And it's funny because if Jews are, are accused of running Hollywood, uh, they're not doing a good job of defending their own, if that's the case. But um, you are really an advocate for the Iranian people now. And I think, you know, that's what really surprises a, a lot of people with regards to, you know, what what drew you to this cause? Uh, you, uh, you know, you, you do so much for the Iranian people. You speak out, and particularly over the last six months since the protests began on the streets of Iran. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, why is that close to your heart? Why have you dedicated so much of yourself to this? So there's a few different reasons. I mean, originally I am from Los Angeles, uh, also dubbed Tehrangelis sometimes, as I'm sure you know, uh, has a huge Persian community, both Jewish and non-Jewish. And I really was exposed to that uh, when I was younger, also in university, of course. So I was sort of exposed to this culture more than I would have been probably in other places. And as a result, I was a little bit more knowledgeable of the situation from the revolution until today that occurred in Iran. And in my professional life, I've always covered 
uh, women's rights issues globally, in particular in authoritarian regimes. And of course, as we know, the Islamic Republic is probably the worst in the world when it comes to the violations of women's rights. So this is something that's been that's on my agenda in alignment with my views for, for quite some time. And I think it's really important that the West understand what's actually happening. Uh, and so as a result of you know, knowing a lot of the Persian community and, and knowing that a lot of them, despite the fact that they are very upset by the things that have been happening, even from the beginning of the regime until today, um, they can't always speak out as much as they would like to, uh, because many of them still have family in Iran. And that's something, of, of course, we know that the Islamic Republic targets people's families who are still in Iran. I mean, as I'm sure you've seen, the uh, Islamic Republic intelligence forces were calling people who live in France, who live in United States, who live in other countries and threatening them, threatening to arrest their families because of activity against the regime that these activists were doing on social media in particular. If that's how they react to social media, then it's no wonder that people outside of Iran are a little bit reluctant to speak out when it comes to these issues because the price is very high. I don't have that risk. I'm not Persian. I don't live there. I don't have family there. And I don't care if the regime threatens me. And they are threatening me. I was in their uh, newspaper a few days ago, just today, since I've been in South Africa speaking about the issue of Iran, I suddenly have been targeted with hundreds of tweets which are insulting me, cursing at me. There's an account with very bad Hebrew who's been tweeting uh, pictures of from all over my social media with a target on my face. So the situation is, uh, it's not nothing. <laughs> it is a little bit concerning, but at the same time, you know, I don't care. I know I stand firm in what I believe in and I, I believe that the state of Israel will protect me um, and I'm not scared of them. So bring it. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, you're you're such a, a brave soldier of, of this movement. I know as an Iranian woman, I, I am so proud of the work that you're doing and so thankful that you are willing to risk uh, your life, you, you know, and, and, and yourself. I mean, you've given so much of your time. I know you've been traveling the world over um, in order to get your message across and to do this advocacy work on behalf of the people of Iran. And I know the threats are coming from from the government and it's not not something to laugh at and, and not something to really, uh, you know, it's wonderful that you feel protected and safe. But at the same time, I'm sure, you know, it, it eats away at your psyche in, in some capacity. How has it been on social media? I mean, um, you do have a ton of Iranian fans. I know that many people like myself are so grateful to, to you and, and the work that you're doing, but I'm sure it's not all positive. No, I mean, of course, a lot of my content has been targeted by, you know, cyber regime uh, forces. And we're pretty sure that it's cyber regime forces because it comes in a very coordinated, inauthentic way. So it will be hundreds of tweets at the same time with virtually the same messages from all accounts that are fake. Or it will be uh, dozens of messages from people who have the Iranian flag with the Islamic symbols in it, uh, messaging me on Instagram, cursing me. Uh, right. Many of them will send me messages in broken Hebrew, telling me that you know Tel Aviv is going to be bombed, etc., things like this. Uh, nonsense messages most of the time, but it's very clear where this is coming from. And furthermore, in one instance, I've had many, many, many Iranians, more than I can count, message me and say, why isn't Israel doing anything? Why isn't Israel even attacking IRGC bases or the Iranian nuclear sites? And to me, as someone who is Israeli, it's shocking because why would someone be advocating for a foreign country, any foreign country, to target 
their country. To me, this is just insane. But the thing is that these people on the ground are so desperate for change that that is something that they prefer. They prefer that Israel stand up to this regime. Of course, only the regime sites. And and I think that's in Israel's interest too. Nobody's talking about targeting the Iranian people. In fact, quite the opposite. You've seen statements from the Israeli prime minister addressing the people of Iran directly and saying that we support you. Um, I, another thing that I didn't mention before, and one of my main motivators is that, you know, Israel has had many wars with the Arab world. And of course, I'm in favor of any country that wants to make peace with Israel. But when it comes to the historical ties, the ties between Persians and the people of Iran and Israel are ironclad. And they have been since the foundations of the state in 1948. You know, Iran was one of the first countries a couple of years later to recognize the state of Israel. It was only the second Muslim country after Turkey to recognize the state of Israel. So this whole concept of being an enemy state of Israel and an enemy of the people of Israel and the Jewish people, this is a foreign concept to Iran. This is something that only came with the rise of the Islamic Republic and the oppression of the Islamic Republic and something that they have forced on the people of Iran. And if you look at what's happening Happening now online, for example, when Israel is facing an onslaught of terrorism from Palestinians, the first people to send me messages of condolences, the first people to respond in comments and say, we stand with you, we support you, we know what Hezbollah is doing, we know what Hamas is doing, we know what Islamic Jihad is, we know who's funding them, it's the Islamic Republic, and we are against this, and we stand with the people of Israel. That is the true face of the people of Iran, and it always has been. And the fact that this is happening now with people who weren't even born under the Shah's time, people who are my age that were born later, and they still understand that what they've been fed by the Islamic Republic is an absolute lie. It's really inspiring. And so it, it pushes me even more to speak out uh, because I don't have some of the same risks as other people who are speaking out against them, uh, against the Islamic Republic. So it motivates me even more to be vocal about this issue because it matters not just for the state of Israel and our security. It matters for humanity and not enough people, especially in the West, understand the extent to which this regime is truly at its most fundamental levels evil. And that's right. difficult sometimes for people to accept. Right. I mean, doing the work that you do, and you really, you, you touched upon so much of, of what I, I wanted to, to get through. And it's, uh, it's amazing how you have come to this kind of this apex in, in, in really defining this re- historic relationship between the Jewish people and the Iranian people, and how organic it is and can be in, in the future. Why do you think the West is so um, hesitant to understand this, to understand that, you know, like, um, and I think you'd agree with me in that the world has really mostly um, fueled by by America's probably um, left, um, fueled by this myth that the peace will only come in the Middle East when the Palestinians and Israelis are able to make direct peace uh, with, with one another, um, but never talk about really removing the dragon's head, which is Iran's regime. And you'll get, a, you know, you'll get rid of funding for Hezbollah and funding for Islamic Jihad and, and, and Hamas and the Houthis in Yemen and the insurgencies in Syria and Iraq, and the list goes on and on. Uh, why is there such a, such a hesitation to understand this? Well, I think that there's a few different things going on here. The first of which is that there's very poor leadership 
in much of the European Union, not all, but much of it, as well as the United States. Uh, Biden's foreign policy has been an absolute train wreck from day one. Uh, and I say that as someone who is quite centrist myself, uh, it's an embarrassment what's happened from, you know, Afghanistan to the situation with Iran. And in addition to that, the other factor that is really critical is that organizations like NIAC, who claim to be representatives of the Iranian people in diaspora, as well as uh, their affiliates in Europe, have been very effective at getting in with government officials. You know, the United States, their special envoy for Iran is Rob Malley, who's been closely affiliated with NIAC. And we know that these individuals who are involved with this organization have been closely affiliated with the regime. They have aligned with regime talking points and policies for years. And we see that that is something that they're continuing to push now, which directly supports continuing the Islamic Republic. The idea that we would even consider negotiations for a nuclear deal at this point is absolutely absurd. And it's a slap in the face to all of the Iranians on the ground who are bravely rising up, much more brave than anything I'm doing on social media, who are standing in the streets and saying no more. We don't want this regime. We want regime change. We want a democratic Iran. And the fact that the West isn't standing with them really is hypocritical of the values that the West is supposed to represent. And in fact, this most recent deal with China, Saudi Arabia, and Iran mm -hmm. is reflecting of Biden's poor leadership because he isn't stepping up, because he isn't giving the backing to United States allies like Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is turning to other human rights violating, massive human rights violating regimes like the Chinese Communist Party to have their back when it comes to a potential nuclear Iran. You know, um, I'm glad you, you took the conversation there because that's something many of us were, were, were watching so closely, hoping that the next announcement out of the Middle East would be a, some sort of deal or some sort of add-on to the Abraham Accords between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And yet something very different was announced in that Saudi Arabia moved towards Iran's regime. Um, obviously a, a slap in the face to the United States, first and foremost, to have China broker such a deal, but secondary, obviously, to a slap in the face to, to Israel, uh, as Saudi Arabia, we were hoping, would move closer to that coalition in the Middle East. What's your take? I mean, I think that it's very problematic, as you mentioned. Uh, I also still think it's possible that Saudi Arabia may be looking to play both sides. It's really too soon to say for sure. It is absolutely reflective of a failure of the West and, of course, the Biden administration, as I mentioned, uh, when it comes to supporting Saudi Arabia in the face of Iranian terrorism, or I should say Islamic Republic terrorism. Uh, but at the same time, it is still possible uh, that Saudi Arabia will move forward with a peace agreement with Israel. It's just too soon to say uh, this agreement did state that, you know, they have two months, uh, Iran has two months to sort of make uh, moves like uh, stop funding the Houthis in Yemen and some other mm -hmm. steps that they need to take in order to normalize relations with Saudi Arabia. We've been here before. This is something that Saudi Arabia spoke with Iran about in the past, and it didn't actually go through in the end. So we'll have to see what happens in the next few months before we're able to really say, okay, this is as catastrophic as we fear, <laughs> or, okay, maybe this actually is just Saudi Arabia sort of playing both sides, and we still have potential to make a peace agreement between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Now, what that looks like, I don't know, that remains to be seen, um, but I think it's too soon to fret about the future of the Abraham Accords at this point.
You know, it seems like Israel is doing so much internally, right? So in terms of human rights, in terms of women's rights, and, and I know that, that Israel is having its own set of issues um, in terms of judicial reform and Bibi Netanyahu's government. And I want to get your take on that as well, because you're, you're right there and, and watching it up close. But with regards to global opinion on Israel, it's never been this low. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, I, I don't never want to separate anti-Semitism from an anti-Zionism kind of sentiment, but it just seems like everywhere you look, Israel is being condemned from the United Nations to, you know, universities here in the United States to everywhere. And as I mentioned, even in Hollywood, why do you, I mean, do you think there is a correlation between what's going on I mean, why, why isn't, for example, and I, I'm jumping all over because this, this is a very, very important issue. And I think that if we were able to connect these dots and underscore them much more for the average person, we would have so much, the world would be such a better place if everyone understood the work that you're doing. And the reason I say that is because you just outlined the organic relationship that the people of Israel and the people of Iran can have and how, you know, um, there are... There are so many public buildings in uh, and private buildings in in Israel that you know posted for Zan Zendegi Azadi, Women, Life, Freedom, which is the slogan of the uh, protests going on in Iran right now, giving their support to that. There's a gay pride parade in Israel every every year. I mean, try doing that in any other country in the Middle East. Women in Israel have you know as the rights that we have here in the United States, obviously they can dress the way they want and they go to universities and they have top positions and they're in government and everything else. So without going on and on and on to summarize, I mean, Israel is, is such a, a, it's a democratic state in, in the Middle East uh, at the very least, but obviously a place that is reflective and tries to push forward with equality and human rights and do everything the right way. But yet around the world, it is being perceived in the wrong way or, the narrative is being pushed that way. Now, I want to get your take on that first. And secondly, how do you think what's going on internally right now in Israel is affecting that? So I think that at its very core, at the most fundamental level, um, there is a lot of opposition to Israel because of organized disinformation campaigns. Uh, yes, much of that actually comes from the Islamic Republic. They have spent a lot of money uh, and a lot of time investing in uh, supporting extremist organizations, not just terrorist organizations, but also BDS initiatives, also anti-Israel groups in foreign countries that have pushed forward these narratives that simply aren't true. They aren't based in facts. And one of the, the things that I've seen through my, through my research and social social media is that the rhetoric over time has become more and more extreme when it comes to Israel. So instead of people discussing what Israel's are what are Israel's legitimate shortfalls. So there there are incidents of racism. There are issues of discrimination like any country in the world. But instead of people talking about that and criticizing that and focusing on specific policies, we see rhetoric that's inflammatory and inaccurate being consistently used to demonize Israel, such as genocide, ethnic cleansing, and apartheid. These are things that are being repeated even by US members of Congress like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Amar from the House floor, which is an absolute embarrassment to the United States, but also from activists all over the internet. And you know, if you repeat lies enough times, people start to believe it. People who don't really know what's going on see apartheid being repeatedly referred to uh, when it comes to Israel. And so that's what's in their mind when they think of Israel, even though there is nothing that's reflective of that in any capacity. So part of it, part of the challenge today is that Israel and Israel supporters are simply outnumbered. And social media, which dictates much of media today, 
as well as much of public opinion, controls the narrative. So when you have mm -hmm. millions of people in a numbers game where Jews and other pro-Israel voices are simply outnumbered, it becomes very, very difficult to fight the misinformation and the disinformation when it comes to the state of Israel. And that's something we're going to have to continue to deal with, but we need to push back with by being more active, more vocal, more engaged on social media as well. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's truly it's sad because when you're on the inside and looking at all of this, you 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 think, you know, if we can just shut off a lot of these voices uh, and really connect with just like the Abraham Accords did and, and turned out to be such a successful project. I mean, I, I joked around on a TV hit the other day that China actually saw what the Abraham Accords was able to achieve and said, hmm, we can do the same thing with Saudi Arabia and Iran. They can look past their animosities and focus on prosperity and an opportunity. And that's exactly how they did come together. Um, but, you know, it, it's like the bad guys always get it right. And, and we somehow always get it wrong. Emily, I want you to talk about... I do want to say on that issue when it comes to Iran and Saudi Arabia that while you're right about what you said and that there is much to be gained from mutual collaboration, it's important to remember that when it comes to the Islamic Republic, they're not actually interested in the prosperity of their country. So sooner or later, they're going to screw this issue up with Saudi Arabia because that regime is hell-bent on engaging in terrorism, on a on an extremist oh, yeah. religious Agenda, they'll burn the whole country down before they'll actually do something that's in the interest of their people. Of so course. really, this regime is, it's on a timer, you know, it has, it has an expiration date, and that expiration date is coming very, very soon. And I don't think there's anything that can happen that will change that. It will only uh, extend the date a little bit, but exactly. eventually this right. will fall. Right. So ex exactly right. Obama gave them a lifeline. Now the Biden administration is, is is hoping to give them a lifeline in some capacity, whether it's a nuclear deal or some other sort of diplomacy deal. And of course, now the Saudi deal and China uh, gave them another lifeline, selling weapons to Russia, yet another lifeline. So they're just trying to play out the clock and extend their time in, in power, like you said, but um, really at the at the, really the mercy of the Iranian people who you advocate for every single day. What can people do out there to support the work that you do to echo the, the the advocacy work that you do. How can the average person be doing the wonderful work that you do and, and really echo a lot of, 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 of what you're doing and putting out there? Well, I think that everybody in the West needs to be a lot more vocal about engaging with their elected officials. You know, we, we're actually blessed when it comes to the United States because you have representatives that are supposed to listen to you. They have offices where they literally will tally how many people call about a certain number of issues. That's your state representatives as well as your federal representatives. The same happens in Europe. So I really want to encourage anybody who lives in a democratic country to pressure their elected officials to push the Islamic regime out. We don't want this regime anymore, support the Iranian people, not just because of the nuclear deal, not just because of human rights issues, not just because of uh, because of global terrorism, but because of all of these things. There is no reason that this regime should continue to stay in power. And the West needs to take a much stronger stance on that. And if it's not going to come from the elected officials, then who is it going to come from? So the people need to be pushing the elected officials to make the right decisions, because right now we see that the right decisions aren't being made from the West. And that's simply unacceptable. There's 
no reason that the IRGC, which is a designated terrorist organization in the United States, shouldn't be designated as such in every single European country, as well as the EU, Australia, New Zealand, and everywhere else in the world. This regime needs to be cut off, and the West isn't doing enough to do so. And if this regime changes, it will be in the benefit of not only the people of Iran, not only the people of Israel, but all of the people in the Middle East and the West as well. This regime is engaging in espionage, in attempted terrorist activity, in attempted kidnappings of dual citizens on foreign soil. No other country, no other regime in the world is doing that at that level. And it must be dealt with sternly because this regime is not a legitimate regime. It's a mafia and they cannot be dealt with as other regimes. They cannot be dealt with in diplomatic terms. So we need to tell elected officials to act accordingly. Right. Absolutely. Make your voices heard. You can follow her on Instagram at Emily in Tel Aviv. Emily, tell us where you, we could reach you on other social media platforms. So I'm available on Twitter as well, Emily K. Schrader, uh, and all the other platforms, Emily in Tel Aviv. Look for her, follow her, be invigorated by her. Thank you so much, Emily, for all the wonderful work that you do. Uh, like I said, as, as an Iranian, I am so proud of the work that you're doing and of your advocacy work as a journalist. You do such wonderful, wonderful uh, work and you are so brave. So thank you. You're an inspiration to everyone. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being on our show. For the rest of you, if you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, go to youtube.com slash Lisa Deftary and to sign up for our daily top 10 email to get the best headlines of the day each morning in your inbox, go to foreigndesknews.com. Thank you and see you all next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.